welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 14th of August 2016, entitled Jesus and Me. And the Bible readings are taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. As we look in Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to be reading verses 6 and 7. And then in Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verse 11. And granted, these are passages that we most often read at Christmas time. But guess what? They're just as true in what month is this? August? As they are in December. And, uh, and, and I hope that, uh, that you can get a blessing out of uh, what we're going to be looking at this evening. And our simple thought, if we make it through at least part of it, is simply Jesus and me. Jesus and me. If you'd like to stand to honor the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 first. He says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then in Luke chapter 2, Verse 11, the very first verse that I ever remember memorizing for a Christmas play, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Father, thank you for your word that we have before us, for its, for its preservation, for your spirit that lives within us. Lord, thank you that we know that you're present with us this evening, that you know every heart. So, Lord, would you use your servant this evening to speak the words that are most needed to the hearers, and we'll give you the thanks for it. In Christ's name, for your glory and your glory alone, amen and amen. You may be seated. And, of course, these passages are passages that we, we read every year during our time after Christmas. They're part of our carol service every year when we take the scriptures of reading pertaining to the birth of Jesus. And I want to ask you just a very simple thing this evening. We know about Jesus coming into this world, but what is Jesus to you? What is Jesus to you personally? I can still remember a preacher that preached for us quite some years ago, and he was sharing about the work that God had called him into, and it ended up being a mission project that we supported for a number of years. And he told about how that he had spent many, many years of his ministry loving God, preaching God's Word, and for all those years preaching about Jesus, preaching about Jesus, telling people about Jesus, and that all sounded really, really great. But he said one day God really convicted him that he had to quit preaching about Jesus. And instead of preaching about Jesus, to preach Jesus, not just to preach about him, 
but to preach Jesus. They needed to see Jesus. They needed to hear Jesus. They needed to know Jesus, not just a bunch of things about him, but they needed to know him personally. And as I was thinking on these passages, of course, the Bible is telling us about this one. We find that Isaiah in his prophecy here is talking about this, this child that is being born, this son that is being given to us. And he goes through a bunch of the names. He says, the government's going to be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And he's going through to Isaiah. These are names that is what Jesus is to him. We find that in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, the Bible tells us that this day in the city of David is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And that's the first thing as we think about, I can only tell you, and, and, and I want you just to think about sometimes let's get off of a lot of the technical things and let's think about our relationship between Jesus and me. You see, the first thing that I want you to know when I think of my relationship between Jesus and me is that Jesus is my Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He is our Savior. This is the only means of our salvation. And may I say to you that it's many times when we think about our relationship with Jesus that will have so much to do with even how we think and react as we come together in God's house, may I say to you that whether it's at home or whether it's at work or whether it's at school or whether it's in God's house, that when we think about our relationship with Jesus and we remember that Jesus is my Savior, that ought to make us want to praise and thank Him through all of eternity. The Bible tells us one day that's what it's going to be like in heaven as we praise him with all the praise that's due him. Just think, we were talking earlier about the outreaches and we were talking about sometimes, most of us when we become Christians, it's difficult for us when we start talking about facing other people and witnessing to other people because we're afraid. Literally, we're, we're, we're fearful of what they might ask and whether we'll know the answers or not or how that they might respond. We go out here and we knock on the doors in our community and we almost go with this preconceived idea that somebody's going to turn up at the, at the door and they're going to have fangs and claws and they're somehow just going to, to devour us or something because we're so frightened and we build ourselves into believing this. The truth is that when we begin to think about our relationship, the relationship between Jesus and me. He is my Savior. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. He is not only the only plan of salvation that there is, he is the only person of salvation. What does he say in John chapter 14, verse 6? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He tells us in Proverbs 14, 12, that there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is death. There are all kind of ways that people seem to think that's right to them and it's rational, but 
The end of it is only death. Why? Because it's outside of the person of Jesus. My relationship. The relationship between Jesus and me. He is my Savior. He is a person. We have a personal relationship. It's because of him that I'm saved. There is no other person to who I can go. And yet, he came to this world and died for me that I might be saved. We find a very well-known passage of Scripture in, in 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, whichever way that you prefer to say it. He says in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. There's only one way to have a relationship with God. That's through Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus. He is our Savior. He shed his blood that we might literally, he says here, be cleansed from all of our sins. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. He goes on and says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us. He died. He shed his blood. All we have to do is confess it because he is our Savior. He did it all for us. We won't turn and read the passage, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we see that not only is Jesus the person of our salvation, the partner of our salvation, he's the power of our salvation. He doesn't just patch us up and scrub us up and try to make us a little bit better. He says, we are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's the power of our Savior in him. He makes us a completely new creation. In John chapter 8, he tells us down in verse 32 and in verse 36 that when we trust in Jesus, our Savior, that he sets us free. It tells us that who the Son sets free is free indeed. You see, it's the power of our Savior, the power of our Savior that makes us a new creation and sets us free from the bondage and the power of sin that's in our lives. Sin is still there. But when Jesus Christ is our Savior, we're made new. And that power that is there, he sets us free from the bondage that we're in. The promise, gospel of John chapter 5. I mean, God's word is, is so, so full of promises, but I want to remind you this evening that there is a promise of your salvation that is only in Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 5, and in verse 25, my pages are stuck together. John chapter 5, verse 25 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, 
and they that hear shall live. We find that there is a day that's coming when the Bible says that even though we may have to lay down this physical life here, there's a day when we're going to hear the voice of Jesus, our Savior, and the dead are going to live. The dead are going to be alive. And we're being given that, that life that will last for all of eternity. We find that that's the promise that Jesus has made to each and every one of us. I just want to remind you this evening to not just think of Jesus as some religious figure out there, but think of your personal relationship, Jesus and me. He is my Savior. He died for me to save me from my sins. He shed his blood for my sins. He made me new. He created me. He set me free from the bondage. He is my Savior. He came. God promised that he was coming to be my Savior, and he is my Savior because he saved me. If that doesn't make you want to praise and thank him, then probably nothing ever will. Jesus in me. You see, Jesus is not just my Savior. Sometimes I think that I've even heard preachers preach it and try to separate it, and some of them meaning very well. They talk about having Jesus as Savior, but not having him as Lord. May I say to you that Jesus is Lord. <laughs> he is Lord. And we have to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Now, you may have problems in your life, and you may not be allowing him, yielding yourself completely to him as you should, but I promise you, if you are a child of God, Jesus said me, he's not only my Savior, he's my Lord. Being my Savior should make me want to thank him and to praise him, but being my Lord, it should make me want to respect him in every way. We live in a day when there's very little respect for anybody or anything in this world, and there's very little respect for the Lord and who he is. In John chapter 13, Verse 13 and 14, Jesus said, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus is saying, Hey, <laughs> you call me Lord, and you do well because I am your Lord. But if you're accepting me as your Lord, then this ought to be bringing about a change in your life. You're calling me Lord, and I was willing to wash your feet. Ought you not to be willing to wash your brother's feet? Ought you not to be willing to humble yourself down and do the most menial and even dirty of jobs to serve uh, your fellow brother or sister in Christ? You see, this wasn't some real spiritual test or, nor task in washing one's feet. They lived in dusty roads. They didn't have tarmac and pavement like we do. They wore sandals on their feet, and when they would come into the house, their feet would be filthy, dirty from all the dust and dirt from, from the road. I came in on Friday, and I'd been to the building merchant, and I'd been buying some materials to bring back for those that, that were building a fence in my, in my back garden. And and I came in, and I had on these shoes that my wife had just bought for me a couple of weeks ago. They were made out of canvas, 
but it was kind of hard to tell what color they were anymore. Just walking around that builder's yard, they were just covered in dirt, dust. And it kind of made me think, well, you know, <laughs> I've got on shoes. My feet, I've got socks and shoes, and my feet don't know all that dirt. But when Jesus bowed down and washed his followers' feet, they just had dirty, nasty feet because they'd been walking around in the dirt, and he was willing to humble himself and to wash their feet. He said, ought you not to be willing to do that for one another? Are you too good to bow down and, and do something that menial for someone that's there? Jesus and me. Jesus is my Savior, but Jesus is my Lord. You know, we could look at a lot of passages. We talked about some of these things last week. You know, we go through a lot of trials in life. But if God allows those trials in our lives, he's allowing them for a reason. Now, according to Hebrews 12, 6, those whom he loves, he chastens. Sometimes we face the trials that we do because he's needing to correct us. He's needing to chase us. Chastisement is not about punishment. It's about correction. And those whom God loves, he chastens. Sometimes we bring things on our life because, yes, of stupid, silly things we've done, but it's for our good, just like our own children. When we chasten them, we're trying to correct them to get them back on the, the right path so that it doesn't lead to something worse. Troubles. We face a lot of troubling times. We mentioned the verse earlier when we're talking about some things in, in Romans 8, 28, which says, For all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We've preached on that passage before, and we said, you know, that's not just sometimes we can see the good things, and we can see how, yes, this is working for my good. I like this. But it's harder for us sometimes to see the bad things, the hard things, the tough things, how they're working together for our good. Well, let me just remind you, all things. Back up, A-L-L, -L, all things work together for good. Not just some things, not just most things, not 99.99999% of the things, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. We've talked about that. His divine purpose is for your salvation. His divine purpose is for you one day to be made just like Jesus Christ. What he does, he does for a purpose. What he does in your life, he does for a purpose. If you belong to God, he has a purpose for your life. And whether you walk in the straight and narrow or whether you mess up, God will work things together for your good that one day you will be just like Jesus. Trials, troubles, testings. Well, Job went through a few tests, didn't he? <laughs> but it was that testing that refined him as gold. They got rid of all the, the impurities and the bads. And boy, we've got a lot of that in our lives. Sometimes God allows us to be tested, our faith to be tested, our, our lives to be tested because there's impurities that, that need to be gotten rid of. 
But remember, He is Lord. He is the one that must allow it. He's the one that's in charge. Even the temptations, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Sometimes you feel like, man, I am the only one that's having to go through this or that's ever had to face this. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Others have gone through it. Others have faced it. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God's always there. There's always, always a way of escape. He's always there. So we find that whether it's trials, troubles, testings, temptations, May I say, just remember, Jesus and me, he's my Savior. He saved me. He deserves to be praised and thanked for that. He's my Lord. I need to respect. He's in control. What's happening in my life, he allows it. You find that just in the book of Matthew alone, just a couple of, of verses that we can find there in Matthew chapter 20 and in verse 8. The Bible says, So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. The owner of the vineyard, the Lord of the vineyard, Folks, the Lord owns it all. Remember, he is Lord. He is Lord. The, the word there literally, kurios, in the, in the Greek means supreme. Our Lord is supreme. There's none higher than him. The owner of the vineyard. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, he's called the Lord of the harvest. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. In Matthew 13, 27, the same word is sometimes rendered sir. What is sir? Well, when I grew up, you didn't speak to anybody that was your elder that was older without it being yes, sir, or no, sir, or yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am. There was that sign of respect for someone that deserved that respect. When we think of Jesus and me, does he always get the place? Do we, even when we're going through the, the trials and the troubles and the testings and the temptation, remember, he's the one. He's the Lord of the vineyard. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. We find that there are many times in scriptures, also in Matthew chapter 27, verse 6, 63, it's the way that the citizens address the magistrates. We find that you can still see it when people go before the courts and that, that magistrate or that judge that's sitting there out of respect, they don't just call him by his first name. They call him my Lord. My Lord. We find that 
These titles are given by the government to those that they think deserve honor and distinction. Lord so-and-so and and Lord so-and-so. I'm just saying when we think of our relationship between us, just remember Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. He's the one that saved me. Without him, I am nothing, but in him he gives me everything. He is my Lord. He has the highest position of honor and respect of anyone in my life. Do we show that to him? We find that the Bible has to say much about that, but we've already seen in our readings that he's not only our Savior and our Lord. Jesus is my master. He's my master. You see, when I think of him as my Savior, that should make me praise him and thank him. When I truly think of him as my Lord, That should cause me to respect him for who he is. But when I think of him as my master, that should make me want to obey him. That should bring about that obedience. There's eight different words in the Greek. Seven of them are noun and one of them is a verb, but six of them apply to Jesus Christ and him alone in Scripture. I'm not going to turn and read all of them for the sake of time this evening, but In John chapter 13, verse 13 and 14 is used when he's seen as our teacher, our teacher. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it shows that he's supreme in authority, the one that exercises power. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21 is the one that has absolute ownership. In Mark chapter 9, verse 5, the title of respectful address closely related to that of rabbi in Scripture. In Luke 8, 24 and 25, denotes a, a chief, a commander, the one that's the overseer. It's a recognition of authority, in other words. In Matthew 23, 8 to 10, the leader or a guide, the one that is laying out the path, the one that's showing you the way that you need to go, that you need to follow. You see, in all of these instances, every one of them, one thing that they all require is obedience. Jesus and me. Man, I need to praise him and thank him because he saved me. He's the only means of my salvation. I've got to give him his rightful place of respect because he is Lord. And one day, the whole world will recognize that. But If he's in your life, as a Christian, he is your Lord. You need to respect him as such. He is our master. That requires our obedience. Too many today are just trying to follow a bunch of rules to get this right and that wrong so they can tick off enough in the right columns to be okay with God one day. The relationship between Jesus and me when we truly see him as our master, then there is a desire to obey him. He is our master. We'll want to obey his word. And I've got so many passages here. We'll want to obey his will. We'll want to obey his way. He's the master. We want to go the way he wants us to go and do what he wants us to do. We've got to quit seeing 
Jesus as just some distant religious figure, but see him as my Savior, as my Lord, as the master of my life. And finally, there's a couple of places, but in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, notice what it says down in verse 15. It says, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We read this passage this morning as we were looking at our sermon there. Jesus and me, Jesus, he's not just some distant person. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He deserves more respect than anybody in all of this world. He is my master. He is the one that I desire to obey. But I got news. He is my king. And that requires my worship. Why aren't there more here people to, to worship him this evening, to, to give him his rightful place in their lives? You see, when my relationship with him is as it ought to be, I want to worship him. I want to give him that place. What does he say in, in John 4, 24, that they that worship him must worship how? In spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Too many people just worship him with the mechanics. Come along, sing the songs, the three hymns, and the preacher gets up and preaches his sermon with three points and a poem and they just go through the mechanics. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's got to be worshipped from within. Not, not just in the mechanical things that we do outwardly. With our spirits. And I believe there that that can be applied. You could say, was that a little s or a big s? Both. The Holy Spirit living within us is the only way that our spirit will act as it wants to wake. When he's in control, when he's in charge, we worship God on his terms, not our own. We worship him in spirit and in truth. Big T or little t, both. The truth. This is the only truth. But also, forget about all your facades, all your fakeness, all your falseness. If you're going to worship God, it's going to come from within. It's going to come from that which is true, honest, genuine from you, not with just a bunch of made-up liturgy, not with just a made-up bunch of forms that you follow through, a bunch of rituals. Some rituals are good. Some traditions are good. But if we're going to worship Jesus Christ, may I say that that's only going to happen when Jesus and me, when our relationship, when I'm truly, he is my personal Savior. He is my personal Lord. I respect him more than anybody else in all the universe. He is my personal master. I'm going to obey him rather than man, whatever anybody else says. I'm going to obey him because he is my master. He's my king. I mean, he deserves my worship. 
And I'm going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Genuinely from my heart and within the bounds of his word, his truth, worship is not something that we make up because of what we like and what feels good to us. It's what's accepted by him. He shows us that in all kinds of ways through the, through the scriptures. God tells us how that we can honor him. You see, Jesus is truth. I'm the way, the truth, and life. He is my king. We find that in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, in John chapter 18, in verse 37, and I give this to you as our final verse this evening. He says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. May I say that that voice is very clear. And he's preserved it for us. And we have it right here with us this evening. So this evening, really, as I'm speaking to hopefully all Christians here this evening, if you're not, then you need to know Jesus as your Savior. Don't just know about him, but know him as your personal Savior, as your Lord, as your Master, as your King. God tried to describe him with all these different terms when he entered this world. But you see, too many times it's just different descriptions out there somewhere. What about in your heart, in your life? What about your relationship, Jesus and me? Do you really this evening know that he's personally your Savior, your Lord, your Master, your King? It'll change the way that you look at life, your thankfulness and your praise. It'll change the way that you respect him for who he is when the world around you tries to belittle him in every way. It'll change the way that you want to obey him because you know he's your master and you accept that and, and that's the relationship that you appreciate. So it's not an attitude of rebellion, but you want to obey him. He's your king. If he's your king, you naturally want to bow down before him and give him the honor that's due him. You want to worship him, to glorify him with all that's due to him. Father, we thank you this evening. And Lord, just been reminded that so many times at Christmas we read through this list and we talk about Jesus being sent to this world and we Read all of these names that you use to describe him, but Lord, you need to help us to be able to in our own lives focus upon Jesus and me, our relationship, my personal relationship with him. And I pray this evening, Lord, that each one here and each one under the sound of this message could know without a shadow of a doubt 
that Jesus Christ is their personal Savior, as he is my personal Savior. That Jesus Christ is Lord of their life. That he is the one that's in control. That he is the one that allows or disallows and that everything that he does, Lord, he hasn't lost control. It's for our betterment. Lord, that he is our master. We want to obey him. We want to live according to his word. We want to do what he wants us to do. It's not a burden. It's not a hardship. It's the desire of our heart. Lord, we come together. We come together not to entertain ourselves, not just to fill our obligation. We come because he is our king. He deserves our worship. He deserves to be lifted high. He deserves to be magnified. Lord, I pray that you'd help us that there wouldn't be anything false about our worship, that when we come together, we'd worship him in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit that lives within us that controls our spirit, the truth that we have in your word and the truth that is in our hearts, Lord, Jesus Christ is truth. And I pray that you'd just help us this evening, that we'd just be reminded of our personal relationship that relationship of Jesus and me. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.